My wife says I'm an idiot. She says I'm such an idiot. If there's an idiot contest, I come in second. I said, why? She said, you're an idiot. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 39 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from San Diego. Bazooka Joe, welcome to You Are the Guest. Oh, Bill, thanks for having me on this show. How's the weather over there? Well, today it's uh, actually thunderstorms in about 58. How about out there in San Diego? Well, you know, I actually deliberately asked that question because if you are anywhere east of San Diego, the weather is usually not as good as in comparison. So it gives me a chance to rub it in. Um, the weather actually over here, I think, is like 70, 74, clear skies. Joe, can you tell me about yourself? Um, let's see. What can I tell you about myself? Because um, you don't sound like you're from California. Well, you know, actually, I used to have a very, very thick Boston accent. I would say things, Pak the Ka and Harvard Yard and stuff like that. Um, Clam chowder. Exactly. Well, what had happened is that my folks split up, and my mom's originally from Indiana, and I moved out to the Midwest and spent five years in South Bend. And I would go to school, and people would say, Joe, say car. And I would say car, and they'd all laugh, and I didn't understand why. And they'd say, Joe, say fire. And I'd say fire, and they'd all laugh. What I didn't realize is what I was saying was ka and fire. And um, after living in Indiana for five years and being ridiculed, um, I got self-conscious. And either subconsciously or consciously, I kind of flattened up my accent. There's still the inflections here and there, but it's nowhere as harsh as it used to be because I used to have an accent that would cut through concrete. Have you heard any good jokes lately? Oh, um, this is from um, Milton Burrell, Uncle, uh, Uncle Milt. This is one of my favorite jokes, and it doesn't always get a laugh from everybody, but I love this joke. My wife says I'm an idiot. She says I'm such an idiot. If there's an idiot contest, I come in second. I said, why? She said, you're an idiot. Bada-boom, bada-bing. <laughs> yeah, like I said, not everybody laughs, but for some reason when I hear that joke, I just, I crack up. I've been torturing my friends with this joke, and I think it's original, but maybe it's not. So here it goes. How do you know if your cows are sad? Mm, I'll bite. How? If you walk into the barn and you hear, moo-hoo. Oh, that's bad. It's so bad that it's funny. Knock, knock. Who's there? Moo. Moo who? Why are you so sad? <laughs> that's, that's my one claim to fame this week is that I've actually wrote those two jokes, and you can catch anybody with those two jokes. You actually wrote those jokes? Yeah. All right, I'm going to use that on the first date, see if I can break the ice. That's right. Guaranteed second date with a joke like that. Yeah, and you know what? Women love 
funny men, you know, that they love guys who are regularly handsome or they love guys that are tall, dark, and handsome. But one thing that always wins them over, apparently, is humor. That's right. Humor and a Porsche. Well, that yeah, the Porsche helps. That goes a long way. Tell me, Joe, what do you do for your day job? Well, I am a web and graphic designer, and I've been freelancing since since November. I was working for, I guess I'll, I'll leave the company name out, um, but I was working for an auto loan insurance company, which was not the most exciting job, but it was in downtown San Diego, and it was only about a 10-minute, 15-minute walk away from, from home, so that was wonderful. And I really enjoyed the people I work with, and I've always said that uh, I will take a slight cut in pay to work with people I enjoy being with. Uh, but to make things even better, the pay was good. Well, what had happened is last quarter, that company made more money than they had ever made before, and they decided to shut down the San Diego office. That's just what's in style for companies these days. And I'm sure they made these decisions to shut down the San Diego office a year, maybe several years before that quarter actually hit. And they gave me an offer to move to a city in Texas, and I, I asked one of my friends, well, what's going on in that city? And they said, well, do you like dirt? I'm like, not really. They said, well, are you really big on Bibles? I'm like, no. It's like, well, then I don't think you're going to like this city in Texas. So I declined and stayed in the paradise that is San Diego. Are regular people interesting? You know, um, I used to be a very cynical and sarcastic and pessimistic sort of person, and I thought interesting people were were not the so-called normal people, or what I would used to say is the squares. Um, I just found them utterly boring. But I used to date a private investigator, or a former private investigator, actually, and now she's a, an attorney. And so just as part of her, her career, her trade, she has to ask a lot of questions. And she would take such delight in interviewing people. And I would watch, and I would just be dumbfounded. She would be talking to, say, a mechanic or a farmer, and she would just be in, in trance at what they were saying. And afterwards I said, what did you find so interesting? And she said that what she found so interesting is what motivates people and these little quirks and ticks that come up during the conversation. And through time, I started to appreciate that. And so when I decided to do my show, I decided it would be an interview format and I would interview all sorts of people because, for one, I would get bored if it was a formatted show where I'd have to interview, say, only IT people. Um, and what I found, which was proved out from uh, her experiences, is that people may seem normal on the surface, but, you know, you scratch below the surface and all this weird, and by weird I mean good and sometimes bad, but all this weird stuff just starts coming out. And, yes, regular people are completely and entirely fascinating. You're a big punk music fan, correct? No. You're not? I, I, no, I actually, I, I hate punk. And um, I'll tell you why. And I say this as a former punk. Um, but I was a punk during the mid-80s, mid and, you know, maybe I'm being sort of, I don't know if bigoted is the right phrase here. Um, but, you know, I thought that was sort of like the last gasp of punk. But my problem with punk is that 
out of all the genres and all the movements, it is the most conservative and most dogmatic of all. You know, you have to dress a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And um, to me, that is actually the antithesis of punk. Punk is supposed to not giving a crap and, and doing whatever you want to being very spontaneous. And so while that's supposed to be the spirit of punk, the actual reality of punk is it's this very rigid and conformist attitude. And it also comes through in the music. Uh, I did a punk show for a weekend mix that I do in my show every, every Saturday. And it was one of the most difficult shows I had to put together because almost all the punk shows that I were, all the punk songs I was looking for that were pot safe, of course, all sounded the same. And they were all about alienation and disenfranchisement. And to me, the, the punk that I liked, um, and I do like the angry stuff, I'll admit, but the stuff I liked is that all the songs sounded different. Each band sounded different from the, the, the next band. Whereas the punk that I hear for the most part these days, you know, it's all the same. It's, it's almost indistinguishable. So I love the spirit of punk. I especially love the do-it-yourself attitude of punk. But as far as punks themselves and most of punk rock music, no, I don't like it at all. In fact, I hate it. You said that you like some of the angrier style of music in punk. What is the root of your aggression in choosing that type of music? Well, I, I, I think part of the appeal of punk is that as long as there are disenfranchised youth, there will always be a love of punk or something very similar to it, like, say, heavy metal. And as a teen, you know, I was an angry young boy, and, uh, you know, I, I railed against the system, and uh, I was angry about the state of the world, and I was angry about uh, having to be made to fit into a, a, a square hole, and I was the round peg. Um, and I was a jerk to a lot of people and I spent a long time working that out and getting over that and not being so angry and, and not being so mean to people I was not the, the nice friendly guy that you know now I used to be an a-hole and um, but that took a lot of work but there's still a part of me that that loves that vibrancy and energy of punk and like everybody else there are days when I get really angry and yes punk is a great release for that so, um, so I guess, yeah, I guess there's still a part of me that does love punk, but uh, I'm really not that angry person anymore. What was the turning point for you? Was it an event or was it just growing up? It was definitely growing up, I think. I think another part of it was um, when I was 24, I was dating a woman who was well, about six years older than me, and back then that was a big deal. Of course, as you get older, you know, six years either way doesn't really make any sort of difference whatsoever. But she had, you know, six years of insight and wisdom, and she would call me on my, on my poop. When I, she would just call me on things. And on top of that, my best friend would do the same, and he would call me out on it and just really held it out for me to look at and said, why are you doing this? And, you know, if you're angry about something, do something, but why are you lashing out on other people? And I think... Those two people, and also just the, the natural process of growing up, got me past that, that angry, vicious phase. Are you political? I, yes, I am political. I am political. Um, I, I've tried to keep the politics out of my show. I interview people about their politics. 
Um, but I myself have pretty much kept mum about it. But I think it's obvious by some of the people that I interview where my, my um, political leanings are. And I am actually liberal. And um, uh, and I'm on the left, of course. And uh, I guess I would have to say I vote for the Democratic Party, although last election I voted independent. Um, but I am liberal. And the thing that's interesting about liberals is that everyone from Ann Coulter to Bill O'Reilly to Rush Limbaugh have been decrying against the uh, the liberals. And the liberals to them are some, like, boogeyman in the closet which I don't understand because liberals have not been a force to be reckoned with since, what, 1967? So they, they've made up this, this boogeyman that doesn't exist. You know, the liberals have not been in power for almost 30 years. So I don't understand it. But, no, that's where my political leanings are. Do you feel they just want to keep the liberals in their box? It depends on how you t- you talk to. There are some people who sort of see it as um, somewhat of a conspiracy theory that if you can paint a person as being liberal and liberal values, which, you know, if you actually look at liberal values, I think most people would say, oh, that's me. Um, but I think it is a way to tar a person and not want a person to be labeled that. I mean, look at Kerry. He did not want to be labeled as a, a liberal. But some people, as I said, they, they look at it as a conspiracy theory. Uh, I don't really look at it as that way. I just think liberal has become a, a blanket statement, and unfortunately there is such a stigma attached to it that a lot of people don't want to be called liberal. But I'm liberal, and I'm proud about it. Where do you think the country is going, direction-wise? I remember in the early 90s, there was a, uh, a guy named Terrence McKenna. He was sort of like the, the 90s version of Timothy Leary. And he said that the 21st century was either going to be a party planet or a prison planet. And to me, it looks like we're going to the, the prison route. And uh, I think this country in particular has been dealt a serious blow through 9-11, and we've overreacted. There is that famous quote by Ben Franklin, and I hope I can say it correctly, but those who would sacrifice freedom for security deserve neither. And I feel very strongly about that. I actually feel that I'm a patriot in the sense that I love the idea of America, but I really do not like the idea of what America has become. But fortunately, history is a pendulum, and it swings to the left, and it swings to the right, and it almost never stays in the middle for very long. So I I think this is a phase we're going into, but it's a very scary phase because we are sacrificing a lot of our liberties, and we are enacting a lot of laws where the government becomes big brother. Now, some people say, well, that's not a problem. I've got nothing to hide, and I don't mind if... uh, George Bush and um, and his staff and administration listen in on me from time to time. Well, sure, that sounds fine, but what about the next president? What if you don't happen to agree with the next president's policies? I mean, that's just one example. Also, we are living in a world where, thanks to technology, it is getting increasingly easier and easier to monitor that person, whether it's through video, whether it's through surveillance of phone, or whether it's monitoring their uh, emails. And I I hope I'm not coming off as uh, a paranoid person, because I'm really not, but I think that's the simple reality, is that this is the world that we are moving into, and privacy is going to be 
either a thing of the past or something very different than we've ever known it before. And I think it's going to be a very difficult transition living in a world where everybody is under scrutiny. Here are the final five questions. Have you ever played in a band? Um, yes, I did, and um, it really never went anywhere. It was during the punk rock phase, and all I did was play bar chords and try to solo. But, you know, I just lacked the discipline or the patience to learn how to play guitar, so it didn't really go anywhere. Do you remember some songs you could play? Uh, I remember the riff I did for a song that I wrote called Fear and Loathing, and um, looking back at it, it is probably one of the most puerile asinine songs I've ever heard. What do you like to do for fun when you're not working in podcasting? I love movies. I could easily watch two, maybe three movies a day. Um, I actually have done that for weeks on end, uh, but now I've limited myself to watching a movie every other week or once a month, although lately uh, I've been watching quite a few movies. I love to play ping pong, I love to cycle, and I love, love, love to read. I, I love to read even more than watching movies. How long does it take for you to prepare for each podcast? In preparing for the show, it usually takes me anywhere from 15 minutes to 60 minutes to research and write up all my questions for the interview. Although, oddly enough, some of the best interviews I've done are the ones that I've just done totally on the fly, where, say, I've gone to a party, met a person who's interesting, and just started recording. But normally, anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. What's an issue that you'd like to cover on your show that you haven't yet? My, it's not really an issue, I guess, but so much a theme. A show that I would love to do, and I hope people don't take offense of this because I mean this in the utmost respect, the show that I would love to do is interviewing people who are on their deathbed that are weeks or days away from death. And I know that sounds very, very morbid, but I'll tell you why. My grandmother, who had a tremendous impact on me, she was on her deathbed, and she saw things from a very, very different perspective being on her deathbed, because you can only get to the place from being close to death. And I remember an instance where I came home from work and I was very frustrated and I was complaining about it. And even on her deathbed, even even just like weeks away from death, she was giving me upbeat advice and, and trying to make me feel better. But I persisted in, in just nagging about it and complaining. And she, at this point, shrugged her shoulders and said, you know, well, okay, if that's the way you want to feel about it, fine. And I, I think part of it was, you know, she did want me to feel bad, but you know, she's going to die. And, and what I was fretting about really wasn't important. So how does this tie into doing the show about people who are close to death? Well, as I said, you know, I, I think that being in that situation puts you in a different headspace that you can never get to otherwise unless you know you're going to die. And I would really like to talk to people and hear what they're thinking, what insights they have, and what they're feeling maybe some of the regrets, what they would have done differently, accomplishments that they're proud of. But again, it's from a perspective that you or I are never going to have until that time of our life. And the final question, is it a small world after all? It is a 
geographically, it's a very, very big world, but as far as people goes, it's very, very, very small. Um, there are very many differences between cultures and people, but the similarities are astoundingly <laughs> similar. <laughs> and um, another thing that's been very interesting about doing this small world is the sort of six degrees of separation that goes on. I will talk to people, say, a year ago from now, and then tomorrow, let's say, I'll interview someone and they'll say, oh, I know such and such. I'm like, I know that person too. And they may be someone who's living in, I don't know, Mongolia. How do they know that person? How'd that connection come about? So through the six degrees of separation and our similarities as human beings, the world really is a small planet. Bazooka Joe, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, which is a fairly familiar place for you. And you get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. Okay, I've got a couple good ones here. Now, we both have a background in radio, and I have recurring dreams, or really nightmares, I should say, where I would be away from the main studio, maybe going to the bathroom or searching for a record, and over the, the speakers, the last song that I played had ended, and then there's dead air. And I get panic-stricken, and for some reason I can't make it to the... The, the studio to play a song immediately so you can't tell there's dead air, or, or I do, but it's, it's just overwhelmingly obvious that there's been dead air. So it's like this reoccurring nightmare I have when I, I'm very stressed out about something in my life. Do you ever have dreams like that? And if so, what are they? I don't have any dreams about that when it comes to radio, but my reoccurring dream that I have, which is football practice starts tomorrow. It's strange because no matter what age I am, whether I was in my 20s or 30s, even in my 40s right now, I will have this dream that seems so real, and it is who I am right now, but the scenario is football practice starts tomorrow. And so I'm trying to say, okay, how can I get into shape? You know, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to be able to get off of work? It's like, wait a minute. I've already graduated high school. I don't play high school football anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I've never asked that question before. I, I've asked it of other DJs, of course. So I'm curious, and I'm going to leave this open to the listeners, but I'd really like to hear their anxiety dreams. What are they in particular? And if they have them, please email me at smallworldpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll definitely do a theme show about that. But that's my particular anxiety dream. And uh, the football one, that's the first time I've ever heard of it, but I can definitely understand why that would be an anxiety dream. What's question number two? Question number two. When you're interviewing someone, what's your favorite part of the conversation? What's the golden moment for you? It usually comes later on in the interview, and sometimes it comes during the Ask Bill 3 segment. And it is where... They're conversing with me as if we're not even doing an interview. It comes down to, you know, we forget that we're doing this as a, as a show and that we're just having this conversation. And some of those moments or some of those things that people share with you during that time is one of those, ooh, I can't wait for other people to hear this. How about for you? Oh, that's definitely one of them. I, I forgot about that, but that's actually, yeah, that's definitely a golden moment. To me, the golden moment is when I asked a question that the person had never heard of before or never considered, and there's that pause in their thinking to themselves, or they say it, which is even better when they say, I've never thought of that. And 
to me that's great because you know a lot of times you'll ask a question they've been asked before and they've got their pat answer and they don't even have to think about it too often but to me the golden moment is when you catch them off guard and they don't know exactly what their answer would be and they have to give it some serious consideration so that's that's my favorite moment all right question number three if you could fight anyone from history who would you fight Define fight um, boxing match, uh, barroom brawl, any from anyone from history. If I'm going to fight somebody, I, I'm assuming that I also have the chance to win. Is that correct? Sure. If I have a chance to win, then I'm going to take on Mike Tyson in the ring and come out the winner. <laughs> but if it's just little old me from Fort Dodge, Iowa, no way am I going to go into the ring with Mike Tyson and have him knock, literally knock my head in. So I'm, I'm going to assume that since this is kind of the what if, that I'm also in on an equal level with him. How about yourself? Well, actually, you know what? That was a joke question. I actually have a, a serious question, but I got that from the movie Fight Club and um, the two guys, Brad Pitt and Edwin Norton, are hanging out and that question came up, and one of them said, oh, I'd fight Gandhi. And the other guy, I think they said they'd fight Lincoln. No, my real question, and I was being sneaky because now I get to ask four questions. My real question is, if you could interview anyone from history, who would it be? For me, it's a toss-up between George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And I would probably at this point say George Washington, just from having been out to Mount Vernon and having looked at that, house and in his plantation and, and literally you know just being few feet from where he's buried that to me has a, a little bit more appeal just to say you know how in the world were you able to start this country and have the foresight and be able to take on one of the world powers to bring this country to what it was so i think it would be george washington I can see the appeal of why you would want to talk to George Washington. One is the personal connection. One, of course, is how do you become the first president. But why Abraham Lincoln? Oh, I think that that was another pivotal part of American history. If you, if you look at the two parts, obviously you have to look at the Revolutionary War because if they don't win the war, then there's no America. And also, if... America is split during the Civil War, then we're not the same country we are today. So those two men really had an incredible uphill battle, and they were successful at it. How about yourself? If I could interview anyone from history, top of my head, I would say it would be the Apostle Paul. And let, let me qualify this. I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Catholic. But... Um, I find Paul is a infinitely fascinating person because if if there was no Paul, I am firmly convinced there would be no Christianity. And some people I've talked to, they'd say, well, you know, God ordained it. He, he, he made it happen that there was a Paul, and, you know, Christianity would have spread. And there is the mythological side of Christianity, and then there's the historical side of Christianity, and it's really hard to disentangle the two, but let's just, just go from the historical point of view. Um, Jesus was, for all intents and purposes, a country bumpkin, 
and he spoke a, a very, well, not very, but he, he spoke an obscure language, and that, let's say he died, and there was no Apostle Paul, I think that his little sect of Judaism at the time would have just disappeared off the face of the earth. But along comes Paul. Paul's this metropolitan dude, and he's regarded as the, the uber-Jew. And he's traveling about, and even though he's what people regard as the super-Jew, at what point does he make the leap of saying, okay, this is a religion for Jews to this is a religion for pagans? And there, there are many other facets of Paul that I find fascinating. But if I could interview anybody, I would have to say it was him, because Christianity, of course, has had such a huge impact on our world. And I'm firmly convinced, no Paul, no Christianity. And what would be your first question? <sighs> Were you there for the crucifixion? Because there are some theories that he was. That would be my first question. Then, of course, the other question is um, the idea of, I don't know if he's actually responsible for this, but I believe he is, is the, and this is the, the, the central part of Christianity, is the communion where you, you drink the blood of Christ and you eat the body of Christ, you eat the flesh of Christ. And Christianity has been with us for 2,000 years, is that we don't really give that much thought to what that means. But you have to look at it from a culture of Jews who are living in the, uh, the desert area, whose religion, a lot of it has to do with hygiene. So to tell someone to, hey, even if it's symbolically, but to tell someone, drink this cup, it is my blood, and eat this bread because it is my flesh, hygienically speaking, that is the, the, one of the most disgusting things you could tell a person to do. So, again, that's another thing I find fascinating about Paul. I mean, if he is the one who's responsible for this, the whole thing that part of uh, Christianity sort of hangs on, where did he make that leap to get beyond the hygienic laws that are in Judaism to making it the, the, one of the most important features of Christianity where you take communion with God? I, I don't have an answer, but that's another question I would like to ask him. Obviously, you've got the chapters in the Bible that talk about that, but do you think those have been edited, or do you think those are verbatim his letters? That's hard to say. I would suspect that they have been edited, and maybe people have inserted things. I mean, we do have the Gnostic Bibles, which were the the sections of the Bible that the Nicenium, I, I may be mispronouncing, the Nicenium Council decided to take out of the Bible. So yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you get Aristotle. Aristotle, his his philosophies, his books, uh, they're not written by one person. It's something that's been handed through the ages, through the uh, uh, Arabic culture, and they were definitely edited, and um, it, it's not his true word, and some things he never said at all. So yeah, I definitely think the same holds true for the Bible. Because a lot of those letters were handed down by stories and really weren't transcribed for about 400 years. Exactly. And people say, and again, I hope I'm not causing offense, but people say that the Bible is the Word of God. That may be true. I will never know. Actually, I tend to disagree with it, but 
the, the simple fact is is that it is written by man, primarily man as a gender, and there are agendas. And again, what I was saying earlier, there is the mythological and historical aspects of history, and they get very entangled in the Bible. So yeah, it, I, I don't take the Bible as being the whole truth because it's been filtered, it's been edited, and of course errors crop up just in transcribing Bible to Bible. And your friend is right. You wouldn't fit in very well in Texas. <laughs> I don't imagine I would. Uh, but you know what, though? Uh, and I really want to say this because it, it'll sort of put a, a more balanced view. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I was sent to a Catholic school. And uh, it was very strange for me because I was raised as an agnostic. But I was sent to this Catholic school, and there was a lot of dogmatic approaches to Christianity and Catholicism, but we had a Bible class, and the teacher was Deacon Irv, and he had a very open way of looking at the Bible, and he was willing to look at the the paradoxes and inconsistencies of the Bible. And I think more people need to be like that, to explore these very odd twists and turns that the Bible leads you on, rather than being so dogmatic about it. Bazooka Joe, do you want to tell people about the Small World Podcast and how they can listen to your show? Sure. The website is www.smallworldpodcast.com, and that's where you can go to find previous episodes or if you'd like to subscribe to the show. And the theme of the show is that I interview people from all walks of life from all over the planet, whether you're a drunken sandwich maker, which I've interviewed, or you're a writer or a musician or a swinger or a data thief, um, anybody. I, I want to talk to everybody. So if you'd like to participate, please do so. Just shoot me an email at smallworldpodcast at gmail.com, or you can even leave a message on the Small World Listener line at one six one nine three seven seven zero five three eight. because, as I say at the end of every show, everyone has a story to tell, and I want to hear yours. Bazooka Joe, I'm a subscriber to the Small World Podcast, too, and I hope that all of our listeners, if they haven't checked out your show, check it out and become a subscriber, too, because it's a wonderful show. Well, thank you so much, Bill, and I actually really enjoy your show, and I've noticed over the last month there are actually more and more interview shows coming out of the woodwork, which I think is fantastic because, obviously, it's a, a format that I'm very attached to, and I'm glad to see more of those shows coming out. Me too. Bazooka Joe, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Bill, it's been a pleasure, and you asked some really good questions. Music by Jim's Big Ego, coming up after the break. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youandtheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. We're back here with Bazooka Joe, and I think you can tell a little bit about our musical guest today. Um, I sure can. When I was a DJ back in the East Coast, I used to do a radio show, and every Saturday, if I could pull it off, I would have a band. And one of the people I get to meet, his name is Jim's Infantino. His uncle, I believe, is Carmine Infantino, who is a comic book artist from the Silver Age. 
Well, Jim does graphic design, but he's also a musician, and he has a band called Jim's Big Ego. And we're going to play two songs. The first is Cut Off Your Head, which is slightly Buddhist. And another thing that's interesting about it is he talks about comic books being too stupid for him even as a child. And I asked him about that in, in an interview, and actually he, he loves comics, but it was part of the theme of the song. And the next song is a song that I think everybody can relate to on some level. It's called Stress and how he's addicted to it. Okay, thank you so much. Here's Jim's Big Ego with Cut Off Your Head and Stress. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening. Cut off your head, shut up your face. Here is the time, now is the place. Cut off your head, why should you wait? Don't think about it, it's much too late. It's been a lot of work, but now I'm right back where I used to be Surrounded by the stupid things I had before I started out The Dixie Cups, the Tonka Trucks, the Action Jacks and Figurines The motorcycle wouldn't go, not even when you pulled the string The comic books I didn't read, too stupid for me then the light bulb oven wouldn't cook the pasty stuff in little tins the woolen shorts the clamp on skates the duck the duck the duck the goose the busted nose the broken eardrum falling off the skateboard hands the plasticine the orange aspirin play-doh crud in little cans keep coming back in different combinations Cut off your head, don't hesitate, do it today, it's great. Toss out your brains, they're a disease, cut off your head, think with your knees. Tattooed all your body parts And pierced your lip And split your tongue And bolted this And branded that And done the drugs And done your friends And done the friends Of other friends So why not try some amputation You can feel so stupid When it's over Karma the trouble
Menachie. I'm addicted to stress, that's the way that I get things done. If I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long. And I hang around like a bum. I think I'm going nowhere, and that makes me nervous. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's thinking about me. It's the little things that get you, it's the little things that get you when you weren't paying attention. It's the little things that get you, it's the little things that get you, it's the little things that get you when you weren't paying attention. I'm trying to cut down on my caffeine consumption, so when I get up, I just have one cup of coffee and I like to have another cup of coffee with my breakfast. And on the way to work, I like to get a cup of coffee, like the kind of cup of coffee that you get with the donuts. If I never get the donut, I just have a cup of coffee. And when I get to work, I like to have a cup of coffee, because I like to have a coffee when I'm talking on the phone. It usually goes cold and I need to get another cup of coffee, and it's lunch, and I have an espresso. morning anymore, so I have a diet cola and another diet cola, but then I'm feeling fine and I'm feeling pretty sharp and I'm feeling pretty wired and I'm getting things done, but right about two I get this little tiny migraine, and it starts by my eyes and it moves to the back of my neck and it moves to the bottom of my spine, but it doesn't get there till five or six o'clock, which is the end of the day, so I'm fine, 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 except when I have to work late, when I have to work late, which I usually do, but if you distress, that's the way that I get things done, if I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long and I hang around like a I think I'm going nowhere and that makes me nervous Everybody's at the game but I feel alright Everybody's at the game but I feel alright Everybody's at the game but I feel alright Everybody's thinking about me Hey, how you doing? Looking good You been working out? Yeah, I can tell Alright, see you later Play real hard. I love to steal little things from the grocery store, like a piece of bubble gum, or sometimes I just stick my thumb in a peach and leave it there. I love to work, I love to run, I love to water ski, snowboard, jet ski, skydive, parasail, hang glide, rollerblade, mountain bike, bungee jump. Well, I mean, I'd love to do these things if I ever had the time. I love to work, I love to work, I love to work out after work. I love to spend a little time with this one I'm seeing, except uh, we never really get all the time to spend together, so we call each other up and we talk about work. But what I think I really love is to get up on myself on a little tiny island in the middle of the ocean with just me and a book and a cellular phone and a personal computer. In case something came up And I'd eat And I'd drink And I'd run And I'd sleep And I wouldn't do nothing Except swim all day Except, you know My paper doesn't work underwater Where were the sharks? Where were the sharks? Where were the sharks? And there's this kind of anemone That sticks in your foot And the poison goes up to your brain And you die And sad, please Sad, please Actually, I think it'd be really relaxing. Just me by myself in the middle of the ocean. And that's what I really love to do more than anything else, except I probably hate it. Make you distress, that's the way that I get things done. If I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long. And I hang around like a bum. I think I'm going nowhere, and that makes me nervous. Everybody's at the game, but I feel alright. Everybody's at the game, but I feel alright. Everybody's at the game, but I feel alright. Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.